Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians is in the New Testament towards the uh, back of your Bible. It's past uh, Acts and Romans and so forth. And uh, before, though, you get to Hebrews and Revelation if you're looking for it. It's a smaller little book in there. As you turn there, we, uh, we are uh, continuing on a series we just started last week through this uh, book of the Bible. This is a prison epistle, one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to this uh, early church, this young church in Philippi, uh, which was located as a Roman colonial city, uh, located just east of what would be Greece today, of course, and the tip of the Aegean Sea is where Philippi was. Uh, the church had begun there around the year 50 A.D., and we're now about 15 years after that that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter called Philippians to this church. As we saw uh, last week, we looked at some important realities. I just want to mention those in brief again because they really set the stage for all of what's coming ahead in the weeks and months ahead as we walk through Philippians. We saw in the first few verses, really in Paul's greeting to the church at Philippi and him saying who he was, reminding them who he was, and reminding them who they were. We camped out on that. He said that they were saints. He described them as saints. Uh, said that God's grace and peace, or wished God's grace and peace upon them. And we said last week that that is just such a crucial reality for us to understand. That we're saints, uh, you and me here, not because we've achieved, like we might think of that word describing, some real special religious accomplishment, or have some particularly high level of righteousness or some miracle, but that we are saints, the Bible tells us, Simply because God has shown His grace and mercy. He has declared us, if we put our trust in Christ for salvation, to be holy ones. He's made that declaration. And we are to respond and be transformed by that. But that means a great deal for us. We said last week, again, let's just help connect things. We said that that means that that our identity uh, isn't, can't, shouldn't be, even in some of the positive things that we might look at in our lives. Our identity is not ultimately in the fact that we're a successful professional or we're the kind of perfect mom or dad that we want to be. It's not in the fact that those around us might really like us and enjoy being around us. It's not even, hard for a pastor to say this, it's not even in being a real faithful servant in the church. That's not our identity. Not in those positive things, ultimately, nor is it ultimately in the negative things that we might see in our life. Sins that we're wrestling with now, sin patterns, or things from our past. Our identity is not in the fact that we're an angry person, or tend to be a judgmental or self-righteous person, or we're a gossiping one, or deceitful. Our identity is not in the fact that we have been uh, divorced or we've committed adultery or we struggle with addiction or we struggle with homosexual tendencies. Our identity is not in those things if we're in Christ. They're ultimately in the fact that Jesus is at work in our hearts and lives. That's the reality of the gospel. And Paul puts an exclamation point on it again in those first six verses of Philippians when he says this, when he says that God who began a work in us, will be faithful to carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So our identity is in Christ and our confidence is in Him because God's going to carry it on to completion. 
Well, we saw that last week. Our identity, our confidence is to be in Christ. And that's meant to transform us in all those areas, those sort of positive things we might think about. Those negative things are meant to be turning us back to him. And we'll see this week several of those areas. Love, righteousness, and prayer that are in these verses, Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. I invite you to stand with me. I'll read the verses aloud as you read along. We stand just in recognition of the, the holiness, the power of God's word and its ability to change us. Verse 7, Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You may be seated and let's pray again together. Oh, Father God, how we ask that you would come now. We greatly need you to work in our lives that you might unstop closed ears and open sealed eyes to see good things from your word for us. Do that now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to follow along with me in your worship guide, uh, you can turn back to the, the pretty far back in the worship guide there to the uh, sermon notes, and it might be helpful. I want to begin this morning with a statement from Frederick Buchner. Not necessarily, I don't think, a, a pastor or writer that I would agree with everything he said, but I found this pretty compelling. As we start to look at these verses and the things that the apostle says about love and righteousness abounding in our lives. He says this, the love for equals is a human thing, friend for friend, brother for brother. It is to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for those less fortunate is a beautiful thing. A love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion, and it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail, to rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich, the black man for the white man. The world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there's the love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The torturers, the tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love, and it conquers the world. As we think about this kind of love, my thoughts were immediately drawn to a story some of us may have heard before, may be familiar with the life of Corey Tinboom. She was, of course, uh, taken, if you know the story, 
into a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. Her family, her father, her sister, and her had housed uh, Jews who were seeking to escape the threat of the Nazis, and eventually that caught up with them. They were taken to this concentration camp. As I recall, her father went to a separate camp for men, and he died shortly thereafter or maybe even on the way. Her sister and her were at the camp they were uh, located at for a number of years, but her sister, Betsy, eventually gave way to illness and disease and malnutrition and died there. After the war, she wrote and she spoke and she would proclaim the reality that she believed in God's love and believed in God's power even in the midst of such difficult circumstances and felt like she had seen and experienced God's love in the world and through Christ, of course, in its fullness. And she would speak at various engagements. And then one day, some years after the war, she was speaking, talking about the power of God's love and the power to change. And she finished. And down the aisle came a man that she recognized. And it took her a minute, because some years had passed, but he was indeed one of the guards who was in charge of supervising her and the other women in this camp. And as you can imagine, all the memories of the ways that this man had treated these women, you can imagine in such a situation with such authority. And he came forward to her up in front of this gathering after things had concluded and extended his hand to her. He said to her, Ma'am, I believe now what you have said about God's love, and isn't it a great thing that we can experience that love? Corey Ten Boom wrote later that she could not find in herself the ability to take her arm and lift it to shake that man's hand. So instinctively filled with anger and hatred, towards who he was and what he had represented. That two feet seemed like a hundred miles for her arm to travel. And she prayed, and as she confessed, only through God's grace was able to reach out and shake that man's hand. Loving people is a tough thing. I read that story about Corey Ten Boom, and it kind of throws me back into the quote that I read at the beginning, and that is that before I even get going in there, the, the ones that are easy to love, the, the loving and the lovely who are around me, I have a hard enough time loving those people, let alone, as the quote from Buchner mentioned, those who are maybe a little bit downtrodden or certainly those who seem to have it all together, certainly not my enemies. It's an easy thing to talk about. We hear about it in the Bible. We hear this word love. We know it's supposed to be part of our lives. But how do we get there? We're going to talk about that this morning as we walk through these verses. Again, if you're looking in the back of your worship guide and want to follow along there, I think the main idea, the the principle that we would draw out of these verses is that God shows us love and righteousness through Christ He shows us love and righteousness through Christ. So we should seek, we should pray for abounding love 
and glorious righteousness in Christ. That's where we ought to be. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take this prayer that Paul offers. He's praying for this church. And we're going to end by looking at some of the global implications of it for prayer. But the first thing we want to do is say, if Paul's praying these things for us as believers, how is it that those realities are working out in our lives? Is love and righteousness, are those things beginning to mark who we are? First thing I want us to see, as I mentioned, is that God shows us love and righteousness through Christ. It all begins there. We can't move one step without that. And let me say these two things. Jesus both mediates and models God's love and righteousness. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus mediates God's love in this way. He mediates God's love in that he laid down his life for us. He showed us his love by laying down his life, and we can experience his love through his sacrificial death on our behalf. He's a mediator of God's love to us. He delivers it to us. He's also a mediator of God's righteousness. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says this. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's that tell us? That tells us again, just as I was talking about us being declared saints, that God grants us righteousness through Christ. It's a gift. We don't earn it. So he mediates love and righteousness. God shows us his love and righteousness that way. But he also, of course, models it. That's who Jesus was. He showed love. We're going to look at that in several places. And he showed righteousness. We tend to as we think about growing in our faith, either have a kind of Nike Christianity view or a sort of laissez-faire Christianity view. We either think, hey, okay, I've, I've put faith in Christ. Maybe it was back when I was young. Maybe it was fairly recently. And now I've got to get it going. I've got to get the program going. got to get some love and righteousness. pastor says we need love and righteousness. Let's get it going. That's sort of the Nike, let's just do it approach. We also, some of us may tend, and who knows, in different areas of our life, we may waffle back and forth between these two. We may have sort of a let go and let God mentality. Ah, if God wants to make me more loving and righteous, well, great. Whenever he gets around to it, we'll go along with the program. Of course, the biblical perspective is that God is doing a work in our lives, and we are seeking to grow in that work. Both of those things moving forward together. So with that in mind, with God mediating and modeling through Jesus his love and righteousness, let's talk about what these verses say. First of all, God's love and the love that we are to have for others and for God. Look with me at verses 7 and 8 of Philippians chapter 1 again. Paul is describing his connection with the Philippian believers. And it, and it, you know, it might just seem, again, sort of like pleasant pleasantries at the beginning of a a letter until we think about it. He says, you know, the way I feel about you because uh, I hold you in my heart, he says. He says, uh, God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Might be just sort of commonplace for us until we think about the fact of who the Apostle Paul was, where we started out hearing about him in God's Word. He was going around and corralling Christians to have them punished or killed for their faith in Christ. 
Here we see even in the Apostle Paul himself, God's doing a work of grace that he would begin to love. And not just love in some general way, but love earnestly those around him. Of course, it's a challenge for us to consider how we love those, even in the church community, even in our Christian fellowship. But he goes on and he says this in verse 9. He says, and this is my prayer. Again, we're going to learn from his prayer what we ought to seek as believers. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. All right, we're going to talk about both of those. Love abounding more and more is kind of a challenge enough. Knowledge and discernment, if you're like me, you sort of read this and say, what in the world do those two things have to do with each other? What does love have to do with knowledge and discernment? Let's try to walk through that a minute. We know that God calls us to love. His greatest commandment was really twofold. Love Him with all our heart and mind and soul. Love our neighbor as ourself. So we're called to a love, a vertical love for God, a horizontal love for those around us. If we begin and are willing to break out of our culture's view of love, we'll also start to realize that biblical love is not like a light switch that just sort of turns on and off. But in fact, Paul is saying that love is something that should be growing in us. He's praying that it would abound more and more. So it's, it's a, a quantity, a decision, a livelihood for us that we seek to grow in. It's not just either I love that person or I don't love that person. I love that. I got it the wrong way. I love that person or I don't love that person. That's not the way it works. Nor is it simply a response to some outside thing. I think my spouse is beautiful, so I love her. I think that uh, guy in the office is nice, and he gave me tickets to the big game, so I love him. You know, he's my buddy. It's not simply a response. Biblical love is actually something that flows from within us and extends out to us. And for that reason, if we'll take a look at it for just a minute, if we'll be willing today to let the Lord pierce into our hearts, we will realize, first and foremost, starting right up here, that we do not love people. We don't even love the lovable people around us with a biblical love, with a God-centered love. We need his help in that. Uh, I like this. Even in married couples, I found this old uh, comment from the comedian George Burns. He said this uh, about marriage, relationship, and love. He said, marriage starts the moment a man and a woman become one. He said the trouble starts the moment they begin trying to decide which one. It's tough for us to love even those who are closest to us. I guess it was uh, Forrest Gump, wasn't it, who said that he wasn't a smart man, but he knew what love was. Well, I don't feel like I know what it is when I start to look at the Bible, and I think that's what it's talking about here where it refers to love with knowledge and discernment. It's easy to go along with whatever sort of the culture's view of love is or our impulse view of love is, but if we really want to get love from the Bible, it takes knowledge. We've got to understand God's Word. That's what we're doing each week here. That's what we're doing in men's and women's Bible studies and life groups. Anytime we encounter God's Word, we're trying to understand more of what it means to know Him and to live for Him. So we need knowledge from Him to love properly. That's what it means when it says Knowledge there. And discernment, I would say, it means we've got to figure out how to put it into practice. It's discerning that helps us figure out how to put it into practice. Uh, 
you know, uh, even when we're trying to love those who are outside the faith in Christ and reach out to them with the gospel, we really need discernment. Uh, I walked out of uh, lunch this week at McAllister's. Shocker, I was at McAllister's, I know. Uh, walked out of my lunch at McAllister's and saw a bumper sticker on a car, was immediately kind of drawn towards it. It said, stop, drop, and roll across the top of it. Stop, drop, and roll. And that kind of drew me attention. Then, you know, I had the little smaller print down below. Stop, drop, and roll won't put out the flames in hell. Exclamation point. I, I just started chuckling. I chuckled all the way back to my office from lunch. I called a patients. I called a couple of buddies to tell them I cannot believe someone fought to make this bumper sticker and then someone attached it. I'm sorry if it was your car sitting outside of McAllister's there. I apologize. <laughs> you know, there's truth to that message on the bumper sticker. There's something true about it. We believe in hell. We believe there's consequences. But there's not a whole lot of love there, it didn't seem like, and certainly not a lot of knowledge or discernment to that approach. So that's what we're talking about. If, we wanna, if we're going to join with Paul and pray for ourselves and pray for others to love, have our love abounding more and more and have it be with knowledge and discernment, that's what we're talking about. A couple of biblical passages real quickly. And, yes, this first point is intentionally longer than the other ones for those who are concerned about such things. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, Turn with me there, if you would. Perhaps some of you had this even read at your wedding. I think it was read at ours. A biblical passage about love. I'll read this, and then we'll just talk briefly about righteousness and prayer. It says this uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Paul is talking about the fact that you can have all kinds of things going on spiritually in your life and in my life, even some impressive things. But if at the center, if at the hub of that is not the reality of God's love for us and that love overflowing and love for God and love for those around us, then we're way off track, he says. He says this, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he gives us some knowledge that should help us with our discernment in verses 4 through 7. And he tells us a little bit, just one little nugget from Scripture here, but a helpful one. He says that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but always rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's a little bit about what love is according to the Scriptures. That's some knowledge for us. In one other place, I will just mention, we won't turn there. Interestingly, this is 1 Corinthians 13. John 13 is another passage that you might look to and you'll remember as I refer to it where Jesus 
saying to his disciples that he was going to show him the full extent of his love. And it reminds us there several times that Judas, who would betray him, who would betray him and turn against him, was sitting among that group of disciples that Jesus got down on his knees and took the feet, the dirty, filthy feet of his disciples and even Judas himself and washed those feet, saying that he was going to show them his love. Love's got to mean something. Love's got to pour out in some sort of tangible way. Far from being some emotional response, it is a work of God's grace in our lives where we know Him and where we seek to extend that out to people around us in tangible, specific ways. Love. Second thing, and I'll mention, I'll just take a minute on this. Second thing we see in these verses, going back to Philippians with me, if you would, chapter 1, is righteousness. It says in verse 10 and 11, That this love is going to be poured out and change our lives, but that also we would become those who approve what is excellent. That seek after what is pure and blameless. That we would desire to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. What's that tell us? It tells us that God desires for us to have a transformed life. It is so difficult in our lives to align ourselves with God's plan for us because our culture is literally like this. I heard this from one preacher. He said that our culture is like a riding on an airplane and the pilot comes on the speaker system and declares to the whole of the people traveling that there's good news and bad news. He says, I'll give you the bad news first. The bad news is that we have no idea where we are. And our navigational system is completely shot. The good news is that we've still got about a half a tank of gas and the engines are running fine. That's what our culture offers up to us. The engines are still spinning Something's still happening around us, but we've got no idea where we are, no idea what the next step is to take to live a life that's pleasing and glorifying to God, or even just at the lowest level, to live a life that's good, to live a life that's good. And the Scriptures offer us knowledge and discernment about that as well. That's why we turn to them each week. Where are we in seeking to... Walk in a life because of God's grace, because His mercy, where we desire righteousness, where we desire to live in a pure and blameless way. So difficult for us just because of our own sin and then manifold difficulty because of our culture that offers us no points of bearing for that journey. Last thing I want us to see is prayer. The whole context of this passage, of course, is that the Apostle Paul is praying these things for these early young believers. And what I want us to just see here and be challenged by is challenging to me is to ask ourselves, what do we pray for ourselves, for others around us in our church? What do we pray for our kids, for our friends, for our coworkers? Is it this kind of prayer? And if you want to see another one of them, you can look at Ephesians chapter 1. There's another place and, and, and countless other areas in Scripture where we see we're challenged by 
a person like Paul praying for deep things, for spiritual things, for love to abound, for purity and righteousness, and not just Janis Joplin, oh Lord, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. That's a lot closer to where my prayer life tends to be than to what the Apostle Paul has down here. Let me put one more thing on it and then we'll conclude. What are we teaching? A lot of us have young ones here. We had our baptism today. What are we teaching our young ones to pray? Okay, God is great. God is good. And we thank Him for our food as a good start. That is a good place to begin. God our Father, we thank You for our many blessings. Those are wonderful places to begin. Uh, what are we doing to take our kids beyond that, to teach them to pray for others deeper things like the Apostle, prayed, Apostle Paul prays here in this passage? I'll let you read the quote from William Gurnall on your own. Again, I want us to have seen today in these verses the reality, the beautiful, the marvelous reality of God's love for us, that He shows us love and righteousness through Christ that's mediated to us and modeled us through Christ. And then if we look at these verses and embrace the challenge of them, that calls us to some kind of love that we don't have in us to generate. And the Apostle Paul is praying that the Philippians would have it because he knows God has to give it to them. And we ought to pray and look to God. Would you give us this kind of abounding love? Would you give us this kind of righteousness? Would you join with me in praying that way? Praying that way to the Lord this week? Praying that way for others around us? And maybe thinking about your children and how you can help them take another step and praying this way for those who are around them. Let's pray with that in mind. Oh, Father, we do ask now today that... Uh, your love would work in such a way and your righteousness would be so tangible to us that we would be people whose love for others abounds. Uh, Lord, we would begin just with loving those who really we ought to find easy to love and yet we find so difficult. Father, that we, you would even do a work beyond that. Allow us to love those that are tough to love and even love our enemies, and you'd give us knowledge and discernment in that. Oh, Father, I pray as well that as that love and righteousness have been granted to us through Jesus, that we would also seek righteousness because we want to glorify you and we know it's good for us. Oh, Lord, let us not just drift with our culture, but find in your word an anchor point, a direction, a navigational system that is clear, that is worthy, and that can direct our hearts and lives as they should be. Help us in this way, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.